Hi, everyone, and welcome back to The Jay Davis Show. Uh, super excited to have Brian Smith with us today. He's the founder of UGG uh, and a, an author and speaker. Welcome to the show, Brian. Thanks, Jay. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Well, I, I think most people are going to be familiar with, with UGG shoes and boots. I think so. Uh, very popular brand. But why don't you give us a background of how did you start UGG? Uh, what have you done since UGG? Uh, give us a little background on on Brian. Okay, I am Australian, obviously, and I spent ten years studying to graduate as a chartered accountant, which is like a CPA. And I quit the day I graduated because I really didn't like accounting. And uh, I was, you know, spending weeks and weeks and weeks around Perth in in Western Australia, wondering what to do, and. I was meditating one day and I got these goosebumps and I, and I thought, oh my God, all the big trends in you know Australia are coming out of California, like Levi jeans and waterbeds and all the surf brands and things. And so I thought, I'm going to go to California. I'm going to find the next big thing and bring it back to Australia. And so like within weeks, I, I arrived at LAX and had my surfboard and my suitcase and I ended up renting a little place in Santa Monica and <clears throat> leased a, a, a big white Dodge van. And uh, the very first thing I did was was drive up to, to Malibu because I'd been reading about that surf spot since I was a little kid, you know, and, and yeah. every Australian is a surfer, you know. So <laughs> uh, I uh, just started going up there every day. And, and, you know, for the first month I was looking around no big thing, you know, and then, you know, two or three, four months went by and I made a ton of friends up at Malibu, but didn't have the next big thing. And it got to be like late October, early November, and the, the storms had come in, you know, the first winter storms and the water was getting cold. And I remember surfing and I was, um, you know, pulling on my sheepskin boots after surfing and, and I just had this goosebump moment again. I thought, oh, my God. One in two Australians own some sort of sheepskin footwear and there's none in America. And I just looked at my buddy, Doug, who I was surfing with and said, man, we got to start importing these things. We're going to be instant millionaires. <laughs> and I'm you know, sure that's what happened. Everybody, everybody who's an entrepreneur will laugh at that one, you know. <laughs> yeah, so, so you know, we, we did a little research and we called up, a few manufacturers in Australia, and one of them agreed to us being his distributor. So we ordered six pairs of samples, and my buddy Doug, he was going to be the salesman. I was terrified of sales. So he went out on the road and came back a week later, and he had about 150 business cards and no orders. And he said, Brian, you know, they, they tell us we're crazy trying to sell sheepskin in California. And on the surface, it's sort of logical, but Australia's climate is identical to California, so it wasn't the real reason. And uh, so we had to start thinking laterally like every entrepreneur has to do. And it was, okay, well, how come all my buddies up in Malibu think this is the best idea in the world? And it struck us that all the California guys who'd been to Australia surfing bought four or five pairs of boots back for their buddies. So within the surf community, it was really well known. So Doug and I switched gears and uh, we went on the road and, I remember this time he made me go on the road, right? I remember going into 
you know, Consurf was in Santa Monica. That was the closest surf shop to me. And, and I was really nervous. I was, you know, I had this little bag of samples and, and I was real sheepish, you know. And I opened up and he goes, oh, man, Ugg boots, what are you doing with those? And I said, oh, you know, I'm thinking of importing them into America. And he goes, oh, my God, they're the best things in the world. You're going to make a fortune. And so I sort of walked out thinking, well, this sales isn't so bad, you know. And I went to the next one and, and uh, oh, Hug Boots, you all my friends have got them. They say they're the best things in the world. You're going to make a fortune. And this happened in every surf shop all the way down the coast. And Doug was doing the San Fernando Valley and he was getting the same response. So we, uh, you know, we got back to my little house in Santa Monica after a week and, and just knew we were on fire we were going to be so rich so fast and it didn't occur to us that we hadn't asked for an order <laughs> because we didn't have any inventory right so so we got um by a fluke uh some investors uh who who worked with my roommate were looking for a new business so they they put in 20 grand which in today's money is about eighty thousand. so it was a lot of money and we sent 15,000 to Australia and ordered 500 pairs of boots. And when they arrived, we, we organized them in the third bedroom of my little house in Santa Monica. And, and then Doug and I went back on the road and I, I filled up this huge duffel bag full of product and all the spare stuff in the van and, and went back down to Con Surfboards and, and I had an order pad now. And I said, okay, Jerry, how many do you need? And he goes, oh, well done, Brian, but man, we couldn't sell them in our surf shop. We just sell surfboards and trunk, you know, trunks and flip flops. And you'll do great in the shoe stores. And I just went, oh shit, you know. And the next <laughs> door, oh Brian, well done. But you know, we just sell surfboards, bikinis, and flip flops and trunks. You know, you do great in the shoe stores. And and this happened all the way down the coast. And the bottom line is that after you know a week and a half being on the road, Doug and I met back in in our house and and the total sales for the first year of ARG was 28 pairs, exactly $1,000 by a fluke, you know? So that was the beginning of ARG. Not not always as easy as it as it seems from the outside. You know, all those thoughts of instant millionaire just sort of flew out the window, <laughs> you know? So, oh, I love it. So we were sort of stuck, you know, Doug, you know, we couldn't afford to pay salaries, obviously. He went and got another job and I, and I started, you know, going to street fairs and swap meets and anywhere I could find someone to talk to, you know. But the best thing I had going was the back of my van at Malibu. I had the van full of product and I'd go surfing at six in the morning and, you know, 8.30 I'd get a cup of coffee and go back to the parking lot in Malibu and open up the back doors and I, I was open for business. And it, it turned into being quite a, a, a cool little business. It was like a... Today they call them pop-up shops, you know, but this, yeah. is like, this is like a pop-up shop in Malibu parking lot. And the rest of that, you know, fall and winter, I, I sold about $6,000 worth. And so, you know, the next year I decided, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to advertise. So I got these two models, a guy and a girl, and posed them on the beach at La Jolla. And, uh, you know, the boots were the main big part of the ad you know and, and we ran those ads and the sales that year went to about ten thousand. and I, it should have been way way more and i couldn't understand it so i got another summer job and uh 
And then the next fall, I thought, okay, I'm going to get better looking models and a more expensive photographer, you know. And we did the same thing, posed them on the beach and the sales. That year went to about 20,000, and it should have been way, 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 way more. And, you know, the third year I, I decided I was working on a golf course in the summer, and uh, I was thinking, you know, this is just such a hard business. The inventory is really expensive. Americans don't get sheepskin. You know, it's, it, it's not intuitive. And, and I decided, okay, I'm going to go out. I'm just going to get rid of the remaining product and go out of business. So around about October, uh, the, the first big storm hit the coast, which it, uh, you know, every year, every Californian, when that first storm hits, they just think, oh, it's winter, you know. So I got home. Uh, from the golf course soaking wet, you know, and there was about 25 messages on my answering machine from all of my surf shop retailers going, hey, Brian, Brian, we got to get some Uggs, man. Everybody's been in the store this year. They're just clamoring for Uggs, you know. And so I I realized I couldn't even go out of business properly, you know. <laughs> so I called up Australia and ordered a whole bunch more product in and and I let all the surf shops come down. They just wiped me out of every bit of product I had in the, in my house. And uh, so I thought, okay, well, if I'm still in business, I've got to figure out this advertising. And so I called a buddy of mine who who owned a surf shop in in, in Ocean Beach, San Diego. And we had a beer, and I, I was explaining that, you know, I just don't know how to advertise this product. You know, Shut up, Brian. And he, Calls out the back to all these little 12, 13-year-old grommets who store their boards in the shop, you know. And he said, what do you guys think of Uggs? And every one of them just said, oh, those Uggs, man, they're so fake. Have you seen those ads, those models? They can't surf. And like instantly I realized I've been sending the wrong message to my target market. And when, when they brought it up, I was like embarrassed at how bad how fake these ads were you know and and so you know when you again when you're an entrepreneur you have to think laterally and, and I, I said okay i called up a buddy of mine who is running a scholastic surf camp up in uh in orange county and i said pete do you have any young kids who are going to turn pro soon because i can pay them in ug boots you know and he <laughs> gave me two guys mike parsons and ted robinson and so instead of hiring a photographer i just took my little canon sure shot you know little camera and we went surfing to black's beach in la jolla and trestles up in san onofre and these these walks they're about a mile long and there's fantastic surf at the end of them and and i just felt that you know if, if i can get some credibility and reality to these ads which so i used a photo of just these guys walking along the, the road to trestles and I ran them in the in those that, that photo in the the uh, surfer magazine and action sports magazine at the end of the you know in you know when when the fall hit, and the sales went to two hundred and twenty thousand dollars. Why? Because I finally figured out what advertising and marketing is all about. You have to get the reader or the viewer into the into the ad, right? You've got to make it so enticing that they, oh my God, I would love to be walking along that track to trestles with Mike Parsons, you know? If I, I'm going to buy a pair of Ugg boots because if, if that's going to make me part of the crowd. And so what I did, I didn't realize it at the time, but I had used influencers, right? 45 yeah. years ago, right? <laughs> and these kids, 
every little kid wanted to be like Mike Parsons. And so they're asking, Mom, all the cool kids at high school have got a pair of Ugg boots. You know, I want a pair for Christmas. And so the moms have to start walking the malls. They, you know, they don't know they're sold in surf shops. And the malls are going, what? Ugg boots? I, don't, I never heard of them. So, but eventually, that's what really made the business take off was getting credibility into my advertising. And that, that really became the birth of the brand, you know, when, when, when I finally took four years to figure out how to advertise and market. It's amazing. So that was 45 years ago was the founding, right? Yeah. 1978. Yeah. And then that took you four years. So 1982. Yeah. Uh, I, th I think there's so many lessons in there of, you know, you went thinking you're going to bring something from the U.S. to Australia. You did a 180 and pivoted yeah. Yeah. in today's tech lingo. <laughs> yeah. Um, and just so many amazing things. Uh, what happened from there? Because I think this is something you talk about in your book, The Birth of a Brand. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah. and can you explain some of those lessons that you learned? Because oh. I, I think it took a minute to then grow. Yeah, it took a long time. Yeah. So it's The Birth of a Brand, and it, it's really a roadmap for entrepreneurs. It's a great book, um, really fast read. Uh, and I just tell a whole bunch of stories from the, be you know, the beginning of you know, what we just talked about. And uh, the theme of the book is that you can't give birth to adults, right? Like every, if you look at the stock exchange page in the Wall Street Journal, right, every single one of those companies probably started with $1,000 worth of sales. Yeah, like, yeah. Long time ago, but that's how they started. And every business is the same. You, you have the conception, come up with the idea, and then you take, action that's the birth so the birth of bug was buying six pairs of samples from australia right but then every business just goes into this infancy and it's like baby infant you got to keep feeding the you know the thing and 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 jiggling the cradle and every now and again you get a smile or a you know a, a laugh and and that's cool but eventually it'll uh it, it, an infant can't get up and go to college right it has to be an yeah right? But if you can nurture it through that period, your business, for, soon it'll become a toddler. You know, that's when magazines are writing articles about you and the first true believers are taking your product, they're telling all their friends, and that's a pretty cool phase. But that'll eventually lead into the, the youth, which is the best phase of every business. It, you know, sales and marketing's working, production's working, importing and warehousing is working, accounting's working, and you can run a $20 million business in that youth phase. But if it's a really great product or service like Agua's, you're going to hit the teenage years. You know, remember you wanted to be in every party on a Saturday night as a teenager? Well, <laughs> it's the same in business. You want to be in every major trade show and you want to be in every mass retailer. And it's a recipe for death because if you could go too fast, you, you just lose control and outstrip your capital and go bankrupt. I, I, I faced that several times in the, in the teenage phase of UGG. And, but eventually, you know, the accountants put all the controls in and it becomes mature. So that's the theme of the book. And I walk, I walk students through every single uh, one of those phases. And, uh, and believe it or not, you know, it's, the book's not so much about success because that happened at the very end. 
it's all about the shit that you go through in the meantime. Yeah. How do you how do you hang in there when all these incredible problems come up? And that's that's the definition of an entrepreneur, the the guy who can stick it out and find a solution every single time there's an obstacle. Yeah, it's just a it's it's so often a time game of just can you stick around long enough to figure this stuff out? Very much so, and and keeping uh you know keeping funding is the hardest part, you know. The one thing I, I regret was I never understood finance, right? I was an accountant, chartered accountant, but I, that's historical, but I didn't understand how to forecast the cash yeah. flows. And, and so I, I had a whole bunch of problems, you know, with, you know, the, the original investors, I thought we'd never need any more than that 20 grand, right? Well, that ran out so fast and then the sales grew and we had to get a bigger investor because the, the, the existing one couldn't handle it. And the old, the new investor didn't want the old one in, so I had to buy them out. And then this happened a couple of times uh, through the course of the, you know, the growth. And uh, yeah, it was it was a really really tough thing to finance because you know we had to pay for the product before we got it, which was okay when it was a hundred thousand dollars. But when it got up into the million range, it's like shit. We don't have that money, you know. And so then you know trying to find financing and forecasting was a really big problem. Yeah. When do you feel like UG hit the the adult phase? Do you, do you think that took Yeah, not not 20 while, years? not while I owned it. Yeah. Yeah. I got it up into the into the late teens, right? In, in, yeah. In, according to my my um the the uh the business um you know, it grew through certain phases, you know, and I had to give up a lot of equity. And then there was a, a freakish, you know, when I lost control of the company temporarily because I, I didn't actually get my stock issued until I finished a trademark lawsuit. And the new investors, you know, wanted me to do that before they gave me my stock. And then, you know, then the uh, that group, so, you know, the, the, the main guy bought the other two out and then he died. So I had a year where I had to sort of, you know, work with his widow who'd never been inside the warehouse. She didn't even know what we were doing. I had to try and keep it alive for her for a year. And over the course of that, um, we had life insurance policies on each other. And, and I was able to use the funding from that life insurance policy on his death to buy the company back 100%, you know, and pay off his widow and give her all the assets and all that. So there's a lot of luck involved. You know, bad luck for Neil, but good luck for me because I was able to spend that year. It was a very, very tough year trying to keep it alive. But and that was, um, you know, like around about nineteen ninety, like eighty-five to ninety was that really, really yeah. tough period. And we got it up to about oh ten or twelve million in sales. You know, after that period. And then to answer your question, the the real big break came just out of pure luck again like i totally believe in karma right you, you know you, you get rewards for what you put out there and uh for uh for years i'd been shipping boots to this lady or for this lady in england her name was trudy styler and every christmas she'd give me 20 orders you know for 20 different people with 20 different customs invoices that was a pain in the ass because it was right in the busiest of shipping seasons but 
it was uh, her, she was Sting's wife, right? So I wanted to keep yeah. her with that group, and so I I shipped all the product to her, and she called me this Christmas. This was in '95, right when I was you know about to sell the company, and she said, "Oh, Brian, Brian, I've I've been to a seminar. It's changed my world. I need a huge favor." And she said, "I need the most perfect." Pair of tall sand, Ugg boots, and, and whatever size. And she said, Here's you have a pen, here's where to send them. And I said, Yeah, I'm ready. She goes, Oprah, care of Oprah Winfrey in Chicago. Right. <laughs> and Oprah got them and immediately ordered like 20 pairs for all of her staff. And then that put in motion the uh you know, the year or two that we set setting it up to announce that Oprah was you know, a big fan. And when she finally announced, you know, on, on Oprah's favorite things and Oprah's best picks for Christmas, you know, she, we had like 25 minutes of nothing but Ugg on the Oprah Winfrey show when she was at her absolute peak of popularity. And you couldn't have paid in dollars for that amount of advertising and yeah. an endorsement. And that was when Ugg took on this whole shift where it went completely across America, went out to the world and, and and women who had not really been that strong in a market, suddenly it was all a women's product. And that was when UG, you know, went into the, you know, the, the, the hundreds of millions and eventually the billions. That is unbelievable. <laughs> um, as, as you think back on that story, what do you think are the key lessons that most entrepreneurs are missing and that they need from your book? What are those things if someone comes to you and says, you know, what, what should I learn from your experience? What do you think those there's, are? There's lots of things. Um, I've, I've got a lot of philosophy and I gave me the spirituality in my book, right? Because, yeah. you know, entrepreneurs have to draw on something from within. And, and one of the stories I talk about on, on the stage is that, you know, God's not out there at the end of the universe. There's a fragment of God in every one of us. And he, it has a mission for where it wants us to go. And every time we take an action in alignment with that, it, you know, it sends a message to us and it comes out as goosebumps, right? That's why I, I talk a lot about goosebumps because it's, it's a real sort of a notification that you're on the right track. And, uh, but you know, the, the thing is perseverance, right? Yeah. Every entrepreneur is going to get hit with roadblocks every every week, every month, you know, and it's the ability to pivot around these roadblocks. And, and I got a piece of philosophy, which is my, it, everybody tells me it's their favorite quote from the book. And that is the quickest way for a tadpole to become a frog is live every day happily as a tadpole. Right. Yeah. And Love it. it's incredibly powerful, that statement, because, you know, there, there's so many businesses like, I'll give you an example. When I was starting UGG, there was another company up in Oregon called Blue Ribbon. They were importing these running shoes from Japan called Blue Ribbon. And they were advertising for years in the running magazines and they were advertising in athletic departments of the colleges and the high schools and everything, trying to get, you know, and they eventually changed their name to Nike after about four or five years. Yeah. And right when the sport of jogging took off, right? Now, they had no control over jogging. They, they didn't start jogging. 
jogging just happened. But everybody who's looking around for running shoes as they get these old magazines, they go, oh, there's this blue ribbon, blue ribbon, Nike, Nike, Nike. It looks like they're the best ones. So everybody starts buying Nikes, right? And then eventually Nike gets, because of this huge worldwide demand of jogging, they got sucked into the millions and the hundreds of millions and the billions. Now, here's a really interesting piece of trivia. I read the book. Shoe Dog by Phil Knight. Yeah. Right. About building Nike. And he listed the sales by year, and I list the sales by year in my book, right? Would you believe that the first five year sales of UGG was greater than the first five year sales of Nike? That's crazy. Isn't that crazy? In other words, they'd been tadpole, 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 and running took off, jogging took off, and they become a frog, right? Yeah. And the same thing happened with Reebok. They were nearly 10 years trying to get their product into the market. And uh, they were in Santa Monica. They were importing their stuff from England. And eventually the sport of aerobics takes off, right? Completely outside of Reebok's control. They didn't start you know, aerobics. And, and so all these aerobic people are looking at you know, all through the, the dance magazines, what's the best dance show? And, you know, the cheerleading show, and it was, oh, must, must be Reebok. And Reebok got sucked into this millions and hundreds of millions and eventually the billions. So the bottom line is, you, you, people ask me all the time, oh, Brian, how do you start a billion-dollar business? And the answer is you can't. You can, you can design the product. You can get a team of engineers design a software, or you can have product developers design a physical product. But you can grow, you know, but... Even to get to 20 million is an incredibly difficult thing. But eventually, there'll be some sort of shift in the marketplace that takes you and picks up product and goes with it. And, and you've just got to hang on for dear life. So it's, it's a really interesting phenomenon. I love that. I, I think that especially right now in today's market, that is so, I don't know if it's... Uh you know, finally a redemption story around this narrative where we, we went way too far down. You can grow things in three years, sell them for a ton of money and just yeah. everyone got focused on, I'm going to be a billionaire in two years. Yeah. I'm going to build this company so fast. And I, and I think that it's worn out entrepreneurs. I think a lot of entrepreneurs that I know and meet um, you know, they just have these insane expectations of, yeah. like you said, birthing an adult. Like, why aren't I perfect yet? Why aren't I? Yeah, they're, they're so you know, everything. Yeah. And, and it's like, I mean, it's nature. Look, look, the biggest trees have got the deepest roots, right? Yeah. And you can't expect to just grow a tree from the ground up. It has to have roots. And that's where, you know, it comes back to the hardship and the time and the grind and the you know, seeing what the competitors are doing and trying to outdo them and you know, try to, you know, just just get better at the product and better at the marketing. And all of these things over the years build up the base of what then can sustain a big company. But I'm, I, I mean, I saw companies during when COVID first started, you know, they were, they were awarded grants, $15, 20000000 million to, to find a cure, you're right, or, you know, some sort of, yeah. you know. And most of them are bankrupt and they never got to the market because yeah. they tried to create an adult. It's absolutely impossible. Well, I, I think that is so true. And I think it's something that entrepreneurs often forget. 
Uh, it's just so easy to get trapped in this yeah. unicorn kind of craziness. Yeah. And it turns I, out you just need to build a good business. If I had had a million dollars to start, uh, I mean, I started with 500 bucks, which me and Doug borrowed, right? That, <laughs> that's how yeah. we started, uh, right? But if I had had a million dollars, I would have spent 900,000 on, on advertising those shitty ads that didn't work. In fact, they were actually damaging my brand, not helping yeah. me grow it, right? Those first ads were damaging the brand. I would have blown 900,000 on advertising and, and probably would never have made it in the marketplace. It's amazing. It's a, it's a good reminder. I think yeah. a lot of times we look at it and we say, man, I just wish someone would give me tons of money. I know. it's And it'd be so easy. And it's like, no, it's not, not it's usually tempting. the case. Yeah. <laughs> yeah i love it yeah. well what what are you up to now what are the you've since sold doug yeah uh, you've obviously written the book what are other things yeah, you're when, working on when i wrote the book that was about 2015 everybody kept saying oh my god this is so good you should be on the stage speaking about it you know and i'd never ever seen myself as a public speaker but i tried it and it worked i got you know a lot of people came up after and said oh my that was really inspirational thanks you know you especially the birth adults theme they go oh my god you know i i was about to give up my business but now i realize i'm just coming out of infancy i'm, yeah. I'm gonna hang in there and i'm gonna keep working it and that was so inspiring to me that i really bought into the speaking power of changing entrepreneurs lives and so now I speak all over the world. I, last year I was in India, Nepal, um, Egypt, Costa Rica, you know, plus all the U.S. stuff. And and I have a really, really fantastic keynote um, that's about an hour long. And I get hired by people who have you know sales groups they want to motivate or you know any annual meetings of associations that they want to motivate their, all of their members. And it's a really, really... It, it talks about all my disasters, but the bottom line is it's really uplifting. So it's a really, you know, a really weird talk. But everybody comes up afterwards and, you know, 10 people can come up afterwards and they'll go, oh, my God, this, I really, really got on this change. And 10 people have had 10 different takeaways and none yeah. of them will be the same, you know. And that's when I get the, you know, my best kicks is just, just realizing that, shit, I really am helping these entrepreneurs, you know, hang in there and grow. Yeah. I love it. Well, people can go to Brian Smith, S M I T H speaker.com, right? Brian Smith speaker.com. And, and uh, get the yeah, book. There's, there's a way to contact me afterwards, especially if you uh, have a, a group that you'd like me to come talk to, you can contact me through the website. And, and in the meantime, just pick up the birth of a brand. It's, uh, it's, it's real. I think it's such a quick read because at the end of every chapter, you're not sure I'm going to be around next chapter. <laughs> Is this business going to survive? Everybody goes, oh, shit, I, oh, I can't stop. I got to go on, you know? So it's a really, really fun book, but, but very full of wisdom and, and really actionable takeaways as well. So, well, if that's not entrepreneurship in a nutshell. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Will we be around next year? Who knows? Yeah. That's that's when you know you're doing it right. It's it's not easy. It's not easy raising a kid either. So yeah. it's the same same principle. Well, this has been amazing. Uh I've I've personally 
uh, it's been so helpful for me because I think I fall into that as well. I think as an entrepreneur, I have been, yeah. I beat myself up and why aren't we farther along? Why haven't we gone? And always that's the trouble with entrepreneurs. You know, we're, we're never, even when they sell out for millions, it's like, Oh, is that all there is? You know, God, I should have done this. I wish I could have done yeah. that. And you're never happy with, you know, entrepreneurs need to look over their shoulder every now and again and look at what they have built. Yeah. Right. It, it, they'll be surprised a lot of those because they're comparing themselves everybody else who's they're competing against, but they forget to look back behind them and, and say, shit, I've really built something here. I'm just going to hang in there. Yeah. No, I, I, I try to remind myself every, every month or so to sit down and just really look, I, I get to work with people I love doing what I love. Right. And that journey is pretty amazing. Even though there's bumps along the road, uh, I wouldn't want to do anything else. Yeah, it's yeah, it's yeah, who I am. Me, we're both born entrepreneurs, you know? Love it. Well, thanks again, Brian. This was an amazing uh, experience to get to talk to you and have you come on. Uh, and hopefully uh, we get to keep talking again soon. Thanks, Jared. Love that. Have a good day. Awesome. Thank you.